And let's worship and praise our wonderful, merciful Savior. And be glad about it.
Good morning, Brinesburg, and happy Mother's Day. What a wonderful time we are going to have this morning as we have the opportunity to worship our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. This morning, for those of you that are joining us through television or through Facebook Live, again, for those moms out there, happy Mother's Day. And for all of you, I'd like to welcome you this morning. I am Brother Brad Walker. I'm the pastor here at Brinesford Baptist Church, and we're glad to have you joining us this morning. And for those of you on Facebook Live, there in the comment section, we always love for you to leave your name and let us know if there's any way that we can pray for you or minister to you. And so glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, I know we have a lot of visitors today with it being Mother's Day, and we want to welcome you today as well. And we would ask that you take uh, that card in front of you in that pew. If you'll take that out and fill it out for us, and then there is a plate on that big round table in the foyer. As you're leaving this morning, if you drop that in there for us, we appreciate it. Helps us to know of your attendance. But more important to us, it gives us the opportunity to know a little bit more about you so we can pray for you and minister to you and your family. And so, uh, so glad that you are with us this morning. If, uh, uh, you, if you would, uh, notice in your bulletin, a lot going on. Uh, DBMU meeting coming up on the 10th, and that'll be at 2 o'clock. Uh, again, next week is our Graduate Recognition Sunday. Uh, if you have a graduate and you haven't yet let the, the office know about that, we need to know uh, so that we can get all that information together and have everything ready for next Sunday morning uh, so that we can honor those graduates. Also, uh, this morning as you're leaving out in the foyer, you're going to see uh, some of these cards, and these are for Vacation Bible School. Our theme this year is Monumental, and uh, we want you to take these cards and begin to uh, look for somebody that you can uh, give this to. Maybe it's um, somebody in your family. Maybe it's a neighbor uh, that you know has kids and you want to invite them. Uh, maybe it's a friend that you know has kids and you want to invite them. Uh, but begin to use these cards. Last uh, week we had the prayer uh, flyer in there, and so continue to pray uh, for our students, for our teachers, for our leaders, and uh, we are really looking forward to a great week. So make sure you use these cards as uh, we, we go uh, a little over a month away, and so we're looking forward to that time together as uh, we have many, many kids that are going to be in our church building on opportunities during that week to share the gospel with them. Again, this morning is Mother's Day, and uh, what a wonderful day Mother's Day is, not only um, to honor our mothers, but to honor all of the ladies that the Lord has blessed us with uh, in our church family and in our lives as, uh, as followers of Christ. God's placed those special women in our lives uh, for, for different seasons and uh, for different reasons, but all of them have meant a great deal to us. And for me, this is my first Mother's Day with my mom in heaven, and so it's a bittersweet day, uh, but so thankful for the mom that God gave me. And I know several of us are that way. We know our mom is in glory right now, uh, but we know that we were blessed to have them. Uh, but so many of you have your mom with you, and uh, make sure you honor her today. Make sure that you uh, spend some time with her. Maybe she lives off from here. Make sure you call her. Don't you go through the day without calling her. Uh, but we're so glad to be able to honor moms this morning. And so I have some helpers this morning. If they'll come up. up. Uh, thank you, guys. If you are... Uh, college or above and you are a lady if you please stand for us and we'd like to honor you with a small gift this morning and I got these gentlemen are going to hand that to you and, and after they give you one uh, you can be seated okay go ahead guys and you can start handing those out but so thankful for those ladies in our church uh, who work with children who work with our youth who teach Sunday school classes who uh, lead in different ministries. Uh, I'm so thankful for the ladies in this church that are prayer warriors. Uh, they, they pray on a continual basis. I'm always getting messages 
about somebody that needs to be prayed for. And I, I always see a numerous number of our ladies who come together as prayer warriors and are praying for uh, all kinds of different needs within our church family. And so thankful to have all of you ladies uh, who, who have been willing to, to serve in that way. And uh, so thankful for the ladies in my life. And I know that all of you have those special folks in your life as well that we want to honor. Make sure somebody gets to the balcony. we got several ladies in the balcony. We want to make sure they get something too, okay? So as, as they're getting those handed out, let's pray together. And uh, just thank the Lord for all of the women the Lord has blessed us with uh, here at Brinesford Baptist Church. Ladies, if you'll stay standing uh, even as we're praying, and they'll get to you as we're, as we're praying. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and we do thank you for these special ladies within our church family. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the impact that they have had on us. We call some of them mom. We call some of them grandmother. We call some of them a Sunday school teacher. We, we call some of them friend. Uh, but, Lord, all of them have impacted us in amazing ways. And, Lord, we uh, ask today that you might bless them richly. And, Lord, that you might allow them to be encouraged to know uh, that their ministries, uh, maybe they consider their ministry to be great. Maybe they consider it to be small. But, Lord, uh, you see every, every way that they are ministering. And, Lord, I pray that you would bless it in a rich way today. Uh, Lord, continue to help us to, uh, to honor our mothers, to honor the ladies that you have blessed us with each and every day. Lord, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
don't mind Ricky. <laughs> we, uh, as we honor our mothers uh, this morning, uh, one of the most amazing thing about our mothers is they showed us, uh, they were a living example and showed us how to serve God. And so um, this song is kind of about that. This song is about no matter where you are in your lot in life, that God can use you. We look through all throughout scripture at men and women that were unworthy to do these amazing things on their own. But um, through, through uh, being a vessel for Christ and for God, um, they did some really cool stuff. And uh, every Sunday, Brother Brad gets up here, and he, and he didn't do it this morning, but when he prays, he asks uh, to be hidden behind the cross, that only God will be seen in the things that we do. And so that's really what this song's about. If you know it, sing it with us. It's called Nobody. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line with all the other not quites, with all the never get it right. But it turns out I'm the one you were looking for all this time. You see, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I've been living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. Living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. Well, Moses had stage fright, and David brought a rock to a sword fight. You picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? Well, I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul And ever since you rescued me Gave my heart a song to sing. I'll be living for the world to see. Nobody but Jesus. I'm living for the world to see. Nobody but Jesus. So let me go down, down, down in history. As another blood bought faithful member of the family. And if they all forget my name, well, that's fine with me. Living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus So let me go down, down, down in history As another blood-bought faithful member of the family And if they all forget my name Well, that's fine with me I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus See, I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul And ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I've been living for the world to see 
nobody but Jesus. I'm living for the world to see, nobody but Jesus. I'm living for the world to see, nobody but Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Patrick and Nadia and Ricky. What a great day of worship that we have had. Uh, what a precious day to be able to remember and to honor our mothers and to be able to see these families dedicate themselves to raising these children to know and to serve the Lord. And uh, now we have the opportunity to enter into God's Word this morning together and to continue uh, this focus today on the family. And if you will, turn with me. You're not going to have to turn very far. We're going to turn to Genesis chapter 2. So go, go to the book of contents. Two pages over, all right? There, there's about, okay? Genesis chapter 2. This morning we're going to be looking at the family's foundation. Go, go with me to the Lord and pray together. Lord, Heavenly Father, it has been a wonderful day of worship, Lord. It's always a special day as we come together on Mother's Day because, Lord, we recognize what a blessing uh, that you have given us and the ladies that you've placed in our lives. Not every individual can say that they've had a wonderful experience with their mom, but, Lord, all of us can say that there's been women in our lives who have poured into us and who have made a difference in our lives. And so, Lord, we honor all of them, and some of them have never had children of their own and so they've adopted all of us and they've taken care of all of us and we thank you for those ladies that have just poured their life into loving others lord i, I pray today that lord young and middle-aged and old alike today would hear from you as we talk about the family and what your plan for the family is what your original plan was and what your plan today is and lord that you would speak to us and if there's even one here today that doesn't yet know you that they would recognize that lord there's no way they can be a good mom, dad, son, daughter, brother, sister, unless they have a relationship with you. It's only in relationship with you that we understand every other relationship. And so, Lord, today, I do pray that you would hide me behind the cross, that only you'd be seen and heard as, as your word is proclaimed. And, Lord, today, that because of your word, that lives will be changed for eternity. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I recognize that on Mother's Day, um, a lot of folks come in to this service and they say, you know, I'm here maybe to, to honor mom, to remember mom, but you're not sure if there's really much going to be here for you because it's going to be a sermon about moms or it's going to be a sermon about families. And maybe you say, well, we, you know, we've already raised our kids and they're out of the house now. Or maybe you say, I'm a, I'm a kid or I'm a youth. And what does this sermon have to say to me? Well, to you all, a lot. I'm going to hit you guys hard, okay? So get ready. Uh, but, but I want you to listen. Uh, but I want you to listen if, you, if you're a grandparent. I want you to listen if you're a teenager. I want you to listen if you're a child. I want you to listen if you're a single young adult. And maybe you don't think there's any plan that you're ever going to get married. The Lord still placed you in families of different kinds. He's placed you here for a reason. And this is a family. And so there's a word for you today. And I want you to hear it. I want you to hear what God has to say to each and every one of us today. So we're going to spend some time today in uh, Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to talk about the family's foundation. We're going to talk about what our families need to be in order to be strong in the Lord. Where that foundation comes from. But before we turn there to Genesis chapter 2, 
Uh, one of my favorite passages on the family is in Psalm 127. And, and I just want to read verse 1 to you before we get into the main part of our message this morning. In Psalm 127, 1, he says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. And so what we see here is this, this verse prepares the way for what I want us to really be able to understand as we move forward this morning. This psalm is about the family, the importance of the family, the, the importance of children within the family. And notice the first part of verse 1, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Now Psalm 127 is in a series of psalms that bear the subscription, a song of degrees. There are 15 of them right there in the middle uh, of, the, of the book of Psalms. And it's interesting to me that the middle of the Songs of Degree is a psalm that has to do with the family, which reminds us of the centrality of the family, the, the absolute importance of the family. Uh, you and I both know that a nation is only as strong as the families that make up that nation. We also understand that the church is only as strong as the individual families that make up that church. So the placement of this psalm in the center is very important. Another thing that I noticed as I looked through these songs of degrees is that most of them uh, just say a song of degrees. Now there are actually four of these psalms that say a song of degrees of David, indicating perhaps that David is the one that, that wrote that particular psalm. But this psalm is different in the fact that it begins with a song of degrees for Solomon. That's important. It begins by saying, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. As you know from Bible history, we go back and we think about who Solomon was. Solomon was a great king just like his father David. And the thing which characterized his administration probably more than anything else was the fact that he was the one who was selected with the honor and the privilege of being able to build that first temple. Solomon was the man who understood building. He understood what was involved in building. For instance, Solomon would surely have understood that building is hard work. It's not an easy thing to build anything. Where there is a construction project, listen to me, there is going to be hard work. Maybe you do construction for a living. Maybe you do some part of construction for a living. Uh, maybe you've been on a mission trip and you've helped with construction. If you've done any of that, you know that where there is a construction project, there is going to be hard work. And you also might agree with me that when I say that it is hard work to have a good marriage. It is hard work to have a strong, good family. And I think Solomon would have also understood that importance, that you have a good general contractor on any building project. Hiram was the general contractor for that first Old Testament temple. And he was a very capable contractor. And if you are going to build a family, it's important that you have a good general contractor. Well, who's that to be? Well, he says specifically who that is to be here in this verse. Except the Lord build the house. You can't build a marriage and you can't build a family unless Jesus Christ is the general contractor. Jesus was a carpenter when he, hit, when he lived here on this earth. Jesus is today involved in three important building projects as well. 
First, he is involved in building a home for our future. It's a place called heaven. And he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And so that's one of the building projects. A second building project is he is involved in building a place for our faith, which is the church. He said, on this rock, I'll build my church. But then thirdly, he is also interested in building a home for your family. He says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. It takes hard work. It takes a good general contractor. There's no silver bullet when it comes to the matter of marriage and family. Most of us would like for there to be a silver bullet. We, we would like to be able to read some book and, and have a good family or, or, or just attend the right seminars and, and, and be able to find the cure-all for our marriage and for our family. Or you could just come here and, and hear me preach for 30 minutes. It's just going to be 30 minutes this week. I got enough complaints last week, okay? And, and, and have a good marriage. That's, there's no silver bullet. There are no silver bullets when it comes to building a family. Uh, you know, a lot of times we come into a wedding and we think, you know, this is the big deal. Weddings are really no big deal, I, to, con to the contrary of what most ladies might think. Weddings are really no big deal. They're, they're pretty easy in the scheme of life. It just takes a few minutes. You don't have to do all that. I mean, I know we do because we want to make a big fancy production, but you don't have to. It just takes two people coming up and a minister and two witnesses, okay? That's no big deal. Marriage and family take a lifetime. A wedding is an event. A marriage and a family is a great accomplishment. And so Solomon surely understood that it takes work to have a strong family. It takes the Lord to have a strong family. There's something else Solomon surely would have realized too, though. In order to build a house, you have to have an adequate foundation. And we've talked about this several times over the last month. He would have understood the importance of a foundation. When Solomon built this temple, the Bible says very clearly uh, that, that he built it out of rocks that were quarried from underneath the city of Jerusalem. In fact, the Bible says that they built it without the sound of a hammer. Now, that, isn't that amazing? That is some amazing construction work. They went down into these rock quarries and they carved out these massive stones. And these stones became the foundation for Solomon's temple. Solomon knew the importance of a good, godly foundation in marriage. And we need to take a fresh look, I believe, at what that means. And so we're going to look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. And this morning I want to give you some basic building blocks upon which to build a solid family foundation. Please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. And the, Lord's, and the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a helpmeet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air. And he brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature... That was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and he closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman. And he brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone. In flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, 
shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. You may be seated. So what are these building blocks? First of all, a God-oriented foundation. A God-oriented foundation. Look at verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. That verse teaches us that in order to have a good family, you have to have a God-oriented foundation. The key phrase in that verse is, I will make. Who's that I? That is God. God formed the first family. He founded it by power and he sanctioned it by his authority. You have to have an adequate authority for your family. Now, every family is built upon some source of authority. There is some basis by which you built your family, by which you make decisions for your family, by which you determine um, the, the value system for your family. There are basically two directions that you can turn when it comes to what will be the source of authority within your family structure. One place you can turn is to the culture that you grew up in as a child. You can turn to the culture in which you have been brought up in. And most people, when they establish a family, they will draw from the values, they will draw from the, the standards of their nuclear family that they grew up in. They tend to build their own family and make it look a lot like that family in which they grew up in. And so for many people, that can be a very good thing. If you had a Christian mother and a Christian father, and they loved the Lord God, they loved his word, they loved uh, to, to teach you his word, and they instilled his word in your heart, they allowed you to be brought up to have a wonderful Christian worldview that taught you to love Jesus Christ and to love others, uh, and, then, and then you have this marvelous family heritage that you are able to build your new family upon. That would be a good foundation on which for anyone to build their family. But of course, the sad fact of the matter is, is there are children who are brought up in those kinds of families and they still rebel. They reject those godly values that their parents brought them up in and they go a different direction. But some people uh, model their family after what they grew up in and that might not be a good thing at all. For instance, if your family was built upon materialism, if, if material possessions were the most important thing in your family, uh, that's a bad pattern for you to follow. If alcohol and drugs were in your family, that's a bad pattern for you to follow. Um, some families have nothing but, but fussing and fighting and quarreling all the time and yelling. And if your family arguments uh, was whoever could yell the loudest and get the most physical one, that is not something you want to pass on to your new family. If all you ever saw uh, was that, that's a poor pattern to follow. And yet that is what we see more often than not in the culture that we live in. But others find their source of authority in the culture itself, the culture around them that they see as an adult. And so they have been brainwashed by the culture. They allow the media uh, to have absolute sway, uh, that they allow so-called celebrities of our day to serve as the basis for their own standards. And they allow culture to determine how they will behave in their family. I don't care what God says. That doesn't make as much sense to me as what this celebrity says or what I hear on this or that. Culture in, cultural influencers um, in our nation 
are making a concerted effort to destroy the traditional God-oriented family and ideas about family life as we know it. The culture is doing everything in its power to undermine and totally destroy the biblical foundation for the family. It's actually being seen as something negative, something bad, something awful, something that would disqualify you from public service if you have a, if you have a Christian worldview. The standard in today's culture is based upon the dysfunctional families that are found on Netflix and other streaming services and in the majority of television and major movies where every family member has some major issue that's being glorified as normal and as desirable. The world would have us to believe that the the way a family is supposed to be is those weird, strange things that we see on the screen. The whole idea of mocking morality and belittling the institution of marriage and family in a traditional sense of what God's called it to be is what we're hearing in our culture today. In fact, the the idea of a nuclear family, of a loving mom and dad with children from either natural birth or from adoption is being mocked today. And yet, streaming services and social media are the source of authority for the majority of our culture. And if that is your source of authority, listen to me, you're headed for some very difficult days in the life of your family. That's not a good source of authority. I want to show you God's ideal plan for the family's foundation. God wants us to understand this foundation is to be God-oriented in foundation. Look at verse 18. And the Lord God said, this is God talking here. God is the one who established the institution of marriage and family. He says, I will make. Marriage is a divine institution. Family is a divine institution. You didn't have a bunch of cavemen who one day said, oh, why don't we have marriage? Why don't we have family? That's not what happened. That, that's what we're being taught. And that's why we're being taught that it's no big deal to just tear it up and throw it away. That's not what happened. It came from God. Marriage and family are God's idea, not man's idea. So we must learn from God how a family is to be put together since he invented it. We must get God's instruction in family. You can learn a great deal from books. I get that. You can learn a great deal from marriage counselors. I get that. You you can find online resources and other resources that can be helpful to your marriage. I get that. If there is truth there, the truth can be incorporated and used in creative and effective ways. Great. But the ultimate authority, the ultimate authority of what marriage is supposed to be and what the family is supposed to be is what God says in his word that is supposed to be. God has given us a book and it's a good one. Read it. In this book are principles and precepts and promises which can be followed to help us to have a fantastic family. And before you even say it, I get it. There are some families in here that are dysfunctional too. They're there as an example of what not to do. Okay? God's plan is found here in Genesis chapter 2. This is his plan. One man, one woman for a lifetime. There has to be a source of authority. I'm going to talk to you about what God says about the husband and the father and the family. I'm going to talk to you about what the Bible says about the wife and the mother. I'm going to talk to you about what he says about the children. But if you have a God-oriented foundation, if, if you get your convictions, if you get your uh, standards and your values, your direction from God, that, it, that which he has revealed in his word, the Bible, then you will have a proper authority for your family. God must be the first. He must be the final 
authority upon which the home is built. Secondly, look at verse 24, and we see a goal-oriented foundation. God gave Eve to Adam, and they were brought together as husband and wife, and they married. And here is what Adam says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And so the goal here is oneness, it's togetherness. The goal is marriage and family and unity. The goal is to leave and to cleave. And the Lord is saying here that there is a temporary relationship in the family life, which is what we grew up in, and there is the permanent relationship in life, which is what we enter into in marriage. You see that word leave? That word reveals an important precept. It's the idea of departing from. It tells us that when we're married, we're to leave our parents. We are to leave our previous family behind. And what does that mean to leave? Of course, there is a sense in which you never really leave the previous family. In reality, the family you grew up in as a child is going to affect you either in positive or negative ways for the rest of your life. The way that you solve problems, the way you determine uh, how to do things is oftentimes from what you learn from mom and from dad. And so in one sense of the word, you don't leave your family. But in another sense of the word, you ought to leave the family. And hear, hear me what, what you say, what I'm saying here about not really leaving. He's not saying here that you never sever the relationship. He's not saying that, that you have no more contact. But I'm, I'm sure that there are grandparents who would say, you, you better not be saying that, Brother Brad. And I'm not. I'm not. I know most of you would rather have your grandkids come over than your kids. I get it. But, but what we see here is in a sense in which you don't leave your family ever, but there's also a sense in which you ought to not leave them. Um, you don't break total con uh, contact with them. And so what does he mean when he says to leave your father and mother? He's saying that when you get married and when you leave your family, that you're putting together something brand new. And this is what I want you to understand. You're putting together something which has never existed before. And it's called a family. It's called a marriage. And the goal is unity in that new family and in that new marriage. And that's why you have to cut some strings when you get married. Uh, you have to clip some, some financial strings. Um, it's not time to get married if you don't have a financial plan of, of how to support yourselves. If you're old enough to get married, you're old enough to have a, an idea of how you're going to take care of yourselves. And that idea can't always be going back to the first bank of mom and dad. Um, that can't be the, the constant plan. It's one thing to have parents that want to love you and, and give a gift from time to time. But the primary source of day-to-day -day income needs to come from this new couple who have committed themselves to one another. But you also have to cut the strings of dependency. You have to learn to develop independency in your marriage. It can't be always going back to mama or daddy. Leave your father and mother. Cleave unto your wife, and they shall be one flesh. And that's one of the hardest things for parents is to let go of that emotional attachment and to allow that, that husband and wife to depend on one another. Children need to leave, and mom and dad need to let them leave. And then that word cleave carries a, uh, an idea. It carries the idea of, of compatibility. If you're going to have a good marriage and a good family, there has to be compatibility in that family. And this is one of the big myths about marriage and family. It is the myth that we are just automatically compatible to one another. How many of you are just automatically compatible to your spouse as soon as you got married? <laughs> None of us. All right, I didn't think so. And so here we see a couple, and they get married, and they think that they are so compatible. I mean, they come in my office, and I can't think of anything that we don't agree on. <laughs> uh, 
They enjoy being with one another 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They think that they're just going to sail off on the love boat, and then they get married, and they think that they've missed the boat. Because none of us are really that compatible. In fact, Cecil Osborne says this, the difficulty of achieving a happy marriage is compounded by the fact that men and women are basically incompatible. They have goals and needs and emotions and drives which are incompatible with those of the opposite sex. We are basically incompatible. And it takes a lifetime of marriage to develop that compatibility. And the same thing is true in the family. When children are born, they're all different. Amen? Children are all different. And here are two children, and you look at them, and they're raised by the same mom and the same dad, and they are day and night opposite. And that's just the way it is. And so here we have this, conglomerate, this conglomeration of people with different ideas and different loves and likes and all these other things. And here we put them all together, and we're trying to work it out, developing compatibility. And, and you're trying to learn to talk to one another, and you're trying to learn to negotiate life together. And he says, you're to cleave together, and, it, and that's necessary. Matthew chapter 19, Jesus quotes the same verse. He says, what God hath joined together. It's an interesting word, that word join. It actually means to be glued together. In, in other words, to be stuck together. It is a bond that is so strong that it cannot be broken. Listen to me. It cannot be broken without serious damage to the other piece. So if you break it, you don't break it without severe damage. And some of you know that. And you've gone through that hurt. And you know the pain. And so... He's talking about commitment. And I believe the number one requirement for a strong family is commitment. When, you're, when you marry, you're committed to that wife. You're committed to that husband. When the children come along, you're committed to those children. You're committed to one another. You're committed for the long haul. You're committed to love one another. And every other member of that family must be very special and precious to you. Every part of that family needs to be glued, stuck together. We learn to talk with one another. We learn to live with one another. So I'm going to give you a question that I want you to ask yourself either right now or later on today. But I want you to really think about it. I want you to ponder this question because it's a tough one. What is life like for my spouse having to live with me? Some of you must know it's not good. <laughs> but what is life like for my spouse Having to live with me. Now, clearly for my wife, it's just sunshine and roses. But what, what is the answer to that? What's the answer to that question? The family's foundation must be God-oriented. The kind of foundation gives a family authority. It also gives a, a goal-oriented foundation that gives a family unity. You have a goal. You have a, a, something you're working towards, oneness. And so here's the third block, and, and, it, and it's what brings a, found, a fantastic family foundation. And it comes in verse 25, a grace-oriented foundation. Look at verse 25. It says, and they were both naked and the man and the wife and were not ashamed. And wouldn't it be great if there was a verse 26 that says, and they both lived happily ever after. And then you see them riding into the sunset, and there's this silhouette of Cinderella's castle. And it would be such a happy story, but it wouldn't be life, would it? Because we all know 
We all know what comes after this. After Genesis chapter 2 comes what? Genesis chapter, good, Genesis chapter 3. And so in Genesis chapter 3, chapter 2 closes, they're both naked and unashamed. Somehow we get into Genesis chapter 3, and here's what it says in verse 10. Adam says to the Lord, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Some of you are already ahead of me because you you know what happened here. You you know where this is headed. But in Genesis chapter 3, we have the sad record of the first family and the entrance of sin into the family and into the human race. Man became a sinner and therefore all of mankind plunged headlong into sin. Adam became a sinner. Eve became a sinner. And one of the things that you have to understand if you're going to have a strong and lasting foundation in your family is that we are all sinners. You married a sinner. Your spouse married a sinner, and you got together, and you produced some children who are all sinners. And this is true of every family, even us as Christian families. Mom and dad may be saved, and your children may be saved, and yet even in in believers, we see struggle with the fleshly desires of this life. Christian dads sometimes battle with temptation. Christian dads make big mistakes sometimes. Christian moms struggle and they blow it sometimes. Christian boys and girls and young people act like the world at times. Even in our safe condition as saints of God, we still sometimes stumble and commit sin. And something else, we're all selfish. When the Lord confronts Adam with that sin, what do you think he did? He says, it was that woman, it's all her fault. And she looks around and she says, oh, it was the snake's fault. And then Adam gets worse by saying, no, it's that woman that you gave me. It's your fault, God. And so not only are we all sinners, but we are all selfish. Notice in Genesis 3, verse 21, he says, And Adam also and his wife did the Lord make clothes of skin, and he clothed them. And why is that important? It's important because that's the picture of salvation. It's the picture of grace. Because a death took place, blood was shed to make those coverings. And grace was required to cover their nakedness. Grace covered their sin. And not only are we all selfish sinners and damaged goods, but this is a very important Listen to me. But we are all salvageable. Did you get that? We're some good news, isn't it? We're all salvageable. None of us are perfect. None of us came into this with anything to offer up to God, but we are all salvageable. We can all be saved by God's grace. God can change you. And you say, but, but you know, I, I came in here this morning, Brother Brad, because she made me. Mama made me. My wife made me. My kids made me. Whatever it may be. But there's nothing you're going to say that's going to change my life because you don't recognize how bad I am. You don't recognize how wicked I am. Well, let me tell you something, my friend. God can do a work of grace in your life. And you don't have to stay in that desperate lost situation that you found yourself in when you got up this morning. You can be saved. You can be everything that God intended you to be by his grace. A grace-oriented foundation. A family where grace is understood makes all the difference in the world. If you understand grace, then you can understand forgiveness. Grace means that you get what you don't deserve. Mercy means that you didn't get what you did deserve. And studying this week, God showed me something that I hadn't seen before. And we talked about um, this a little bit last week. But I think the greatest example in the Bible of a grace-oriented family is the family of that prodigal son. He had one of the greatest fathers that a boy could ever have, and yet he went to his father and said, Dad, I want my inheritance. I want to get out of here. I don't care about you. I just want to go live on my own. Give me my money. And so he proved that he was a sinner. He proved that he was selfish. 
And with a broken heart, the dad gives him the inheritance and the boy goes off to the far country. And you know what happens in that far country. The Bible says that he joined himself. In that far country, it says the boy joined himself. Same word that we used a minute ago. He glued himself to. He stuck himself to. And some of us this morning find ourselves coming into this place and we have glued ourselves to the far country. You've glued yourself to this world. You've glued yourself to the morals and the standards of this fallen world to the point where you this morning think that I'm crazy for talking about these things. You think that mom and dad are crazy for still having traditional beliefs about who God is and about his love for you. You have glued yourself to the ungodly, corrupt world around us, and it will happen to you just like it happened to this poor boy. It took him all the way down into the pig pen. And one day he came to his senses and he says, I know I don't deserve to be a son anymore, but I'd be better off being a slave in my father's house. And so that old boy gets up and he leaves the pig pen and he heads home. And there at at home is this father. And the Bible says that he saw the boy a far way off. And as the boy gets closer, the father went to him. And and what did he say? Did he say, you sorry piece of trash. You you have embarrassed me in front of this family. And you embarrassed me in front of the church. Don't you show your face here. You get out of here. Is that what he said? Is that what the father said? Did I get that right? Have you ever read the prodigal son? That's not what he said. No. The boy comes. He didn't deserve anything. He didn't deserve anything but judgment. He didn't deserve anything but hell. And he starts making his apology, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But he couldn't finish the speech. Because in his repentance and in his desire to seek forgiveness, the father comes. And he wouldn't let him finish. He puts his arm around the boy. He hugs him tight. And he puts a robe on his back. He puts shoes on his feet. He puts a ring on his finger. And he says, shh, you're forgiven. Come home. Welcome back. There was grace. And that's what it means to have a grace-oriented family. There are going to be times when all of us need forgiveness. There's going to be times when transgressions are going to be part of the family fabric that are going to be hard to forgive. I get it. Family life is hard. The test is contrition and repentance. When there is genuine repentance and remorse over sin, there should be room in every family for genuine forgiveness and restoration. So this morning, as our musicians come, come on up, musicians. This morning, if you want to have this kind of foundation, this kind of biblical foundation in your family, then you need to have a God-oriented family that gives a family authority. You need to have a goal-oriented family that gives a family unity, and you need to have a grace-oriented family that gives a family beauty. What's going on in your family right now? Are there needs that need to be addressed this morning? Is there forgiveness that needs to be extended this morning? Are there confessions that need to be made this morning? Do you need to come and pray for your family? Do you need to come as a mom, as a dad, as a son, as a daughter, and say, I'm lost? And that's one of the biggest problems in our family is that I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Do you need to come? Our family lives are never going to be stronger than our relationship with Christ. And so let's get it right this morning. Maybe we need to have some families to just come together and pray together. But do you want to have that kind of strong foundation? If you do, the Lord's here. He's ready. He's willing. He's He has the ability to offer all the power that you need to have the strong, lasting family foundation. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and I thank you.
for your word and I thank you for the reminders of what it takes to have a strong marriage and a strong family. Lord, this morning, speak to hearts. Lord, you, you've spoken through your word, Lord, a lot better than I can. I know I get in the way sometimes. But Lord, your, your word is spoken. And so I know that there are some folks that need to make decisions today for you. There's some folks that need to be on their knees in prayer today. There's some folks that may need to join this church family and be part of the family of Brinesburg Baptist Church. But Lord, you know the needs. Lord, you know the way that folks need to respond. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would prompt and that we'd see folks that move in obedience today. Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.